Hi, I'm Edwin. And I'm Andrew. Two men. Fifteen minutes. Eternal impact. Welcome to Text Talk. His glory I will see. I will Welcome to Text Talk. Uh, my name is Jackson. I'm here with Edwin this morning. Uh, Brother Edwin, I think we need to get a new jingle going on in here. Maybe two and a half men, three men. Oh, wait, two and a half men is taken. So. Yeah, that one's taken. You're not allowed to do that one. That's right. But uh, we are so glad that you have joined us to listen in on today's podcast. We're going to continue a reading from Acts chapter 19. Edwin, what is our text today? I'm actually going to read the exact same seven verses that we read yesterday. Hopefully we'll notice some other things today. Acts 19, 1 through 7. I will be reading again from the English Standard Version. Here's what it says, Jackson. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So, Jackson, yesterday when Andrew was here with me, we were able to talk about these same verses, and we looked at the idea of baptism, the recognition that baptism is more than just water and and highlighting that just because you've done something similar to what God has asked doesn't mean you've actually done what God has asked. So I'm sure you were able to listen in on that one. So appreciate you being here today as we kind of move along. But what we've got now in Ephesus is these 12 men that misunderstand baptism. They are following John's baptism. Help me out in explaining why we have people in Ephesus following John's baptism instead of the baptism of Jesus. Yeah, so by way of review here, if you're just joining us or if you've forgotten last week when we read Acts chapter 18, we finished up that chapter talking about Apollos and his preaching that he did in Ephesus. And the message that he preached was that he was only familiar with the baptism of John And so what happened was, because of his preaching, we are now seeing the falling out of that in that the disciples, I'm using my air quotes over here, the (laughs) disciples in Ephesus are now only um, familiar with that baptism as well. And so as Paul comes through here, he's finding this out that because of the teaching and doctrine that Apollos was using, now we have these disciples that are only familiar with that baptism. Certainly some of the disciples, I think we should say, maybe not all the disciples. Aquila Priscilla had been here. Paul had been in Ephesus before, so I think some truth would have been taught. But Apollos comes in, and there's this confusion. I will repeat again. I don't I don't know how Apollos could have as much education and knowledge in the scripture and even be taught in the way of the Lord and still misunderstand this issue of baptism. But somehow that happened. And what we see now is that there were consequences. There were consequences. There were consequences beyond Apollos. Apollos has left. And yet Paul, when he comes in to teach in Ephesus, is discovering people who are among the disciples. And I appreciate you using quotes there, because as we discussed yesterday, Luke seems to be using the word disciple ironically here. They are among the disciples. They they are devoted as, as much as they can be, but they actually haven't 
gone through what it takes to be a disciple. Matthew 28, 18 and 19 says that we become a disciple of Jesus through baptism in the name of Jesus, the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching. These guys have been taught incorrectly, and they have not been baptized correctly. You look like you want to add something. I don't want to trample yeah, on that. Go ahead. Just again, you know, it's worth pointing out here that this needed to be corrected. This wasn't something that was they could just let it slide by. It had to be corrected. Now that I'm glad you brought up, because that really does get right at the heart of this second thing that I'm looking at. We, we've Yesterday, it was all about just how important baptism is, but now I want us to see this. There is a debate. People argue and fuss all around the idea of false teacher and false teaching. I don't know, Jackson, if you've been around folks who get into this debate yet, but the the disagreement that folks have is as you're defining a false teacher, is a false teacher anybody who says something that is incorrect, or we might say false, or is a false teacher someone who has false motives, uh, a hypocrite, someone who is insincere? It really gets into 2 Peter. So if we were to look in 2 Peter chapter 2, in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, this is 2 Peter chapter 2, again reading from the English Standard Version, but false prophets, I'm reading verse 1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. We look at this and folks fuss and argue and disagree, okay, is this person, a false teacher, just anybody who says anything that's incorrect? Or is this a false teacher? Because even while they're saying correct things, they have false motives. And there's a great place to have this conversation. I, I'm, I'm look, I feel like you have a question or a comment you're wanting to add. I, I don't want to just run, run through here. Go ahead. No, you're totally okay. So I was just going to say that what I want to ask you is that based on this text, it looks like there could be an argument for both, but does in this situation, does that really matter which side it falls on? Okay. See, I, so you are. You're like reading my mind here. I think that's exactly true. Uh, there could be a person who is teaching true doctrine, but be a false teacher because they have false motives. I think there's also an argument to be made that someone who is very sincere but teaches error could also be a false teacher because they are teaching what is false. What I think this account about Apollos demonstrates to us is that it might be that that whole argument is a red herring, that, that the devil has us arguing among each other about what's the actual definition of false teacher, and that prompts us to miss something that's very important, and that is whether or not Apollos was a false teacher, these folks who followed his teaching had false confidence. Whether or not we could technically define Apollos as a false teacher. I think Apollos was very sincere. If we're going to say that a false teacher is someone who has false motives, who is hypocrite, who is insincere, then we're going to, Apollos is not that. That is not what Apollos is. If we're going to say that a false teacher is somebody who teaches something incorrectly, okay, maybe Apollos fits on that list. He hears the truth. He submits. He, he comes around. But his error still had consequences. And that's the thing I want us to see. Error has 
consequences. And when we get into this argument about can I define this fellow as a false teacher or not, we're really missing the point. If what someone is teaching is error, it's going to have consequences. They may be as sincere as the day is long. They may be a wonderful person. You still have to teach them the truth because error has consequences. They still need to repent and come around. They don't get to say, well, you know, this is what God's grace is for, so it doesn't really matter if I'm wrong on this. That, uh, Jackson, I, I believe that there are going to be a lot of people in heaven throughout eternity who were wrong about some things. I imagine I am wrong about some things. I, I say it in that couch language because if I knew I were wrong about something, I, I would change. At least I, I hope I would. But I, but there's that part of me that says, look, I, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I have no doubt there's something I'm mistaken about. I hope when someone shows me the truth, I will come around on that. Do I think I qualify as a false teacher? I really don't. But what I need to understand is error has consequences. Error has consequences. As much as we said last week that, that we need to be bold in what we do know and what we have studied, we also said you've got to be willing to listen and come around. Error has consequences. There's another aspect of this that, that I think is important, and this is when we get into discussions with people that we disagree with. I'm going I'm to take a little veer here and, and, and see if you can follow me on this path, Jackson. One of the questions that almost always comes up when people start disagreeing, is this going to send somebody to hell? Have you ever heard anybody ask that question? Yeah, whether or not it's you know salvation dependent. Yeah, so we're, we're disagreeing about something. Maybe it's about how to worship God. Maybe it's about how people are saved. Maybe it's about organization of the church or various issues of authority. Maybe it's about the meaning of a particular passage. And you go back and forth for a little bit and somebody drops this bomb. Well, is this going to is this going to send people to hell? Is God going to send people to hell over this one? This is a terrible question to bring in the discussion, and here's why. In that scenario where we're disagreeing, because either one, I'm going to say, yes, people are going to go to hell for this, and then what you're going to do is get mad at me and being judgmental, and you're going to shut the conversation down, which is what happens all the time. Or I'm going to say, no, no, I don't think, I don't think people are going to go. Well, then why are we having this discussion? Let's just move on. Or I might say, well, I don't know. I don't know what God's going to do about this question, in which you're also going to say, well, then why are we even having it? We shouldn't be dogmatic. We shouldn't be talking about this. Let's move on to something more productive. I think that's a terrible question to ask. And the reason I think it's a terrible question to ask is because the the main issue is not, will people go to hell for this? The main issue is, will God be glorified for this? And when I'm not doing what God says or what God wants, he's not glorified. Now, in his grace... At the end of time, in judgment, because I am saved by Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and not by earning it through doing everything right or believing everything correctly or teaching everything correctly, I may still end up with God in heaven even though I'm wrong. But the question I need to be asking right now is what I'm doing, is what I'm teaching truly glorifying God because that's what matters most. Yeah, um, my mind is kind of, you know, running through some thoughts right now as you're saying this, and I'm thinking of what Paul told Timothy about being sound in his doctrine so that he could, the those who hear him, hear him speak, will be saved, and he'll be saved also. And I'm thinking of searching the scriptures, testing the spirits, all of these things that go to show that as students of the word, we need to be firm in our doctrine, and we need to be searching the scriptures and looking for understanding so that way we have sound doctrine and sound teaching and we don't have to um, fall into situations like this if that makes sense 
we are saved by the grace of God, but what God's grace does not mean is that what I believe and what I teach and what I practice doesn't matter. It, it, it is true that I am not saved by getting all of that 100% right. But, and so what grace does for me is that while I am surrendering to Jesus Christ and while I am growing in Jesus Christ, I don't have to spend my days and nights terrified that even though I am giving my allegiance to Jesus and surrendering to him, that, oh no, maybe there's something I'm getting wrong and I'm just going to go to hell anyway. I don't have to spend my time in fear of that, terrified of that. I can have confidence that I am saved by Jesus Christ. But what I don't want to do is fall off the cliff on the other side of the road that says, well, that's just what grace is for. It doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. No, it, it matters for God's glory. And the reality is, is that when I move from I have confidence in Jesus, so I'm going to keep growing, to I have confidence in Jesus, so I'm not going to worry about growing. Now I've actually abandoned the grace of Jesus Christ and the strength that he offers. And so here we find Apollos. I want us to understand error has consequences. Please note this also before we wrap up. Apollos was corrected. We saw that at the end of chapter 18. He's now gone to Corinth. He's teaching truth in Corinth. But now Paul comes in. And he's finding people that had listened to Apollos, and Apollos had not been able to hunt them down and correct it. He had not been able to correct for everybody. I need to understand, error has consequences. Whether or not Apollos was a false teacher, these 12 men had false confidence, and what they needed to do was be corrected, surrender to Jesus Christ, and grow. And that's what I need to do. That's how I need to approach things. It's really kind of a repetition again of what we learned last week. I need to be bold with what I know, but I need to be humble enough to listen and grow and correct. We're glad you guys have been listening in on us with us today on this conversation. Hope it's been very helpful to you. If you have questions, if you're learning something else from this text or any others, we'd love to hear from you. Text talk at christiansmeethere.org. Text talk at christiansmeethere.org. Jackson, would you go ahead and wrap us up with a prayer here? Absolutely. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful to you for your grace. We are so thankful for your mercy. We are so thankful that you sent Jesus to die for us. Father, we have confidence in uh, baptism and that there is one baptism, Father. We pray that all of us would come to know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we would be baptized for the remission of our sins in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that we have the assurance of eternal life in heaven with you when this life is over. We are so thankful for your word and for acts and the wonderful examples that we get to follow from it so that we can have confidence in our faith, Lord. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for talking about the text with us today. I'm Edwin Crozier, and I'd like to invite you to join the Christians Who Meet on Livingston Avenue this Sunday for our Bible classes and worship. You can find out more at christiansmeethere.org. Check out our daily written devotional that goes along with today's episode. You can find a link for it in our show notes. Michael Eldridge wrote and sang all four parts of our theme song. You can get more from him at acapeldridge.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so others can learn about it more easily. Have a great day. Well.